How's it going? Good. I feel like we start every conversation the same with us, where we're like, hi. <laughs> I mean, you were just commenting on on how when you produce the episode yourself, you record the intro like on your own, and yeah, like I I, I was doing that for so long that mm-hmm. it is it's it's funny to just kind of jump into it and have, yeah, <laughs> have the kind of description and the intro be uh, off the cuff and not yeah. Like, uh, like pre-written or something yeah making it sound natural that's what we do on yeah. the uh the podcast is we keep in all those awkward messy <laughs> human <laughs> emotions exactly um yeah. yeah which i think is cool you know i i think it it speaks to our authenticity I hope as, so, right? I mean, if if you're listening and you're like you're like I don't, you know, and you disagree with that, and you're like you guys are so unprofessional, then you know, let yeah. us know. We want to hear that. That's true. Actually, give us yeah. feedback. Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. Well, Matt, welcome to the Earth Humans Podcast. Actually, that... we just had you on the Earth Humans Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm happy to be uh, producing another episode this week. Yeah, and um, I before we dive into this episode, we kind of wanted to announce that we have been partnering with a bunch of other sort of environmental podcasts, and we've been working on building a network, you know, where we're all kind of communicating with each other and helping each other grow and, um, you know, just, just sharing ideas and um, ways that we can all improve what we're doing by centering certain voices and you know what I mean? So um, I wondered if we could talk about that a little bit and, and why we're taking that approach with other podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, one of the things that is, I, I, I guess, often frustrating for, for me, like working in this field of sort of environmental or conservation, you know, focused, storytelling and, and podcasting and filmmaking um, is, is like the competitive nature of it, mm-hmm. right? It's like everybody's mm-hmm. competing for the attention of an audience. And, you know, in the filmmaking world, like things can get like really ugly. And, and that, that, that competition is not conducive to the collaborative sort of effort that is needed to actually find solutions mm-hmm. to to a lot of these uh, really pressing issues that that we currently face. So, you know, that's one of the things that we're that like that's what the Y Lens Collective is all about, right? I mean, that's at like the core of our mission is is collaboration and representing uh, a diversity of voices in this space. You know, in a field that you know has historically been very white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm really excited about this. We're going to be doing a recurring segment where we're going to be featuring the voices of hosts on other podcasts and learning about what they're all about. Um and I'm really excited, you know, and and I hope that our listeners um maybe find some new podcasts to subscribe to and and maybe can share with us podcasts that they love that, you know, would be good to feature 
on on this segment of our podcast. So you know, we we'd really like to open it up to more collaboration and um, and and just just show the scope and the the breadth of voices out there um, because you know I, I think we do a really good job on Earth to Humans of 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 having a, a really broad diverse uh, platform. Um, but there, like you said, there are, there are so many more stories that we could tell, uh, voices that we could have on the show. And, and this is just one way that we would like to, to continue to do that. So I'm really excited about this direction and I'm excited to, to share some, some new voices and new podcasts with our listeners. Absolutely. Me too. And if any of our listeners out there are, you know, if there are any podcasts that, that, you're listening to that you think we should be aware of or could be a good candidate uh, for us to feature on Earth to Humans, like definitely let us know. So the first of these segments that that we're sharing with you uh, today in in this episode is a segment from the podcast Raices Verdes, uh, as well as uh, a short interview with uh, the creator of the podcast and the host, uh, Samara Alamonte. Yeah, we're really excited to be kind of sharing this first segment. And yeah, I'm going to let uh, Samara introduce herself uh, and and talk a little bit about her show and, and about the segment that she's sharing with us. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. My name is Samara Monte. I am recording on Snohomish territory today, part of the Coast Salish people's territory also known as Linwood, Washington. And I am a first-generation Chicana. Um, my parents are originally from Puruaran, Michoacan, which is Purepecha territory. And I am the creator and host of Raices Verdes, Green Roots podcast, um, where I really look to validate, archive, and share the experiences of Black and Indigenous people of color in connection to the environment. Um, the podcast is really meant to serve as a way of healing our relationship to the earth as we connect with each other and rediscover and reconnect with our earth stories. Awesome. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your inspiration for starting the podcast. Yeah, definitely. So I went to a very environmental college, um, like very mainstream environmental college, and it was a very predominantly white institution. So oftentimes my experience of connecting to the environment back home in Mexico was very different from folks that had mostly grown up in the Pacific Northwest. We also had a lot of students from like Colorado and Alaska. And so just my experience was so different. And I often felt out of place in like my college experience and learning more about the environment. And so I was just really trying to carve out a little space for myself and other BIPOC to discuss our connections that felt different to like what mainstream environmentalism was putting out in the media, in academia. And so really, I started the podcast after I became part of the Doris Duke Conservation Scholars Program, which is an internship program. Um, it's like a educational program. It's so many things, but basically for two summers in a row, this cohort of mostly BIPOC get together and we had an internship with a different environmental organizations. We got to do a lot of um, field trips and just connecting with folks um, in Michigan. This is where the uh, program was hosted. 
And after that first summer, I was like, finally, like I have found my little community and I want to start documenting our stories and podcasting just felt like the most natural way to do that. Since a lot of the students I met in that cohort were like from all over the country. So podcasting just felt like a better way to record that. And after that, I just started uh, with my friends, mostly like documenting our different stories. And then from now it's expanded to even recording episodes with folks I haven't even met in person, you know, just like through social media, I've connected. Um, like when I did the series on um, Muslim women in sustainability, like all those people are living in New York. And so it was cool to just like record from coast to coast and get their stories as well. So yeah, that was kind of the inspiration, just trying to find a little community for ourselves. And now that I've been more on social media with the podcast, I realized like there's a lot of cool BIPOC, like just doing similar work. I wonder like what the process has been like for you personally, because you talked about how in college, you know, you were exposed to this like very sort of mainstream, very white version of environmentalism, right? Like has the process of like producing this show and having the opportunity to talk to all of these other people shifted the way you think about environmentalism? Yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing has just been realizing how much capitalism has like disrupted these relationships and oftentimes when I interview folks especially if they don't come with like an environmental like education background a lot of them will be like oh I don't know why you're interviewing me I'm not like an environmentalist or I'm not a conservationist but I really want to also disrupt that notion because as we get into the conversation and I start asking people like hey like what did your family think about the earth like how did your family teach you about taking care of the earth I think those sort of like ancestral pre-colonialism pre-capitalism relationships like really come up where people are like oh actually like my family was like sustainable in this way back in their home country or my ancestors were actually farmers or like this and that or and so I think that's been really beautiful to just see that like we don't just talk about the outdoors in this podcast in terms of like we love going to hikes and we love like doing outdoor recreation like that's definitely a part of it and I think a lot of the guests would say they enjoy doing that but it's so much deeper than that like people really talk about um, connecting to like family members that have passed away through like the land or really talk about um, their indigenous ancestry and reconnecting with that or like for black folks talking about you know um, healing some of like the violence that has been perpetuated um, towards our community here in the United States and across the world so I, re I think I lately have been thinking more about that healing aspect of the show and like how can I bring that forward more in the episodes because it's definitely not just about like oh we like to go outdoors and we want to see more representation of black and brown people in the outdoors it's about like we want like a very deep connection that we just have lost for a little bit but well not even lost it just was like buried right and we're just like uncovering it so it's just been cool to hear people's like coming into that yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, it also like one of the things you said that resonates with me is how a lot of the people that you reach out to interview with are sort of like, well, I'm not an environmentalist. Right. And it's sort of it, it, it's like, well, OK, maybe like there are a lot of people that don't fit this sort of like mainstream idea of what environmentalism is, right? And it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is like trying to change that definition, right? And, and make people feel more included in the big picture idea, right? Even if there are still a lot of people that don't perceive that as a part of like the mainstream movement. Yeah, like I, it's funny, the second episode of the whole show um, is like titled Rejecting the Environmentalist Label. 
and my friend Nina Tran like just did a really beautiful um just job of like talking about that like yeah you know these labels of like feminist environmentalists like this and that they sometimes just don't quite fit for some of our world experiences because those are so rooted in like a very specific framework and a lot of times like as BIPOC like our experiences are just so beyond that and I also like saw this tweet like um by an indigenous scholar that I really appreciate Yasnaya and she tweeted about um in Spanish but the translation basically saying there are women who are indigenous women that fight and declare themselves feminists there are indigenous women who fight and declare themselves like community feminists and then there are indigenous women who fight without calling themselves feminists and I really like that because I think that applies to a lot of things like, you know, indigenous folks like will be fighting for what people will call environmental justice. But for them, it might just be fighting for land back or it might just be fighting for sovereignty. And so I just really like that framework of like these labels like are useful sometimes and they can definitely help us find community. But I think they also have limitations. Yeah. And I mean, that that's something that I am realizing, you know, and it's something I've been talking with, you know, a lot of my friends and colleagues who, who like work in environmentalism, right? Like most of whom are white and people, when they hear about like what we're trying to do with our podcast and like how, like the things that we're trying to do to like increase diversity and inclusion in our organization, I've gotten a bunch of requests of people to like, oh, can you give like a presentation about what environmentalism means as we deal with this racial reckoning and all the things that are going on right now. And what I end up doing is like talking about just the horrific racist white supremacist history of environmentalism. I'm like, I can't like, I can't give you guys any advice on how to like make your organization more diverse and more inclusive until you acknowledge that the whole idea of environmentalism was so deeply racist. I feel like we need new terminology. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things when like, for example, people slap decolonize in front of everything when it's like you really, like you said, you sometimes just can't do that without like really just letting go of the whole system. <laughs> like, for example, if we were to put like decolonize like national parks, it's like, okay, what does that even mean? What that would mean actually would be like giving that land back. So <laughs> it's like, you know, then you wouldn't have national parks. You can't decolonize national parks. So I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, I think that's super important to like read the work of like Eve Tuck and about like decolonization is not a metaphor. It's like, we can't just like slap these pretty words in front of some of these like organizations and things. Like you said, we just need to let go of that terminology. But it's, you know, I think regardless of how harmful it is, I understand that it is hard to change our like foundation of thinking and just the way it's been, like that's hegemonic thinking, right? It's just been so normalized that it's gonna take a minute to really like let go of it. Maybe you can give us just a quick introduction to the segment that you're going to share with us. Yeah, so this episode segment is from season three, which is currently out and happening. And it's the episode number two um, about indigenizing environmental science and mutual aid. And I was super honored to interview Dr. Jessica Hernandez. Um, She's an indigenous scholar, scientist, community advocate. Um, I don't tend, I said this in the podcast, but I don't tend to fangirl over like a lot of like 
celebrities, but I tend to like fangirl over academics. And she's definitely like one of those people that I'm just like, oh my God, her work is amazing. Um, and so, yeah, every time um, I have a new guest on the podcast, I ask them, you know, what is your green root? What is your raíz verde? And it's, again, always so beautiful to hear the diversity in um, the response and really hear the uniqueness of everyone's connection to land. But there's also obviously some fundamental themes to it about community, about ancestry, about stewardship. And so, yeah, the segment will just be her talking about what her connection is. And I think it's super important because she is in academia and environmental science, like very mainstream STEM field, but she's also an indigenous woman and definitely brings that forward in everything she does. And especially the mutual aid part, um, she really centers that in her work through academia, which unfortunately we don't see that a lot. If anything, we see the opposite where like scholars will like take knowledge and then just like leave. And she's really about creating a reci reciprocity with um, the folks that she works with in academia. So yeah, I'm just really excited to highlight more of Dr. Jessica's work. And um, yeah, it's just the kind of, uh, the kind of guests that I keep hoping, that I hope to keep having on the show. So today we have Dr. Jessica Hernandez, an indigenous scholar, scientist, and community advocate based in the Pacific Northwest. She has an interdisciplinary academic background ranging from marine sciences to forestry. Her work is grounded on her indigenous cultures and ways of knowing. She advocates for food, climate, and environmental justice through her scientific and community work and strongly believes that indigenous sciences can heal our indigenous lands. She was raised in South Central Los Angeles, and in 2020, she became the first alum from her high school to receive and complete a doctoral degree. She is the founder of Piña Sol SPC, an environmental consulting and art the Sanias hybrid business that promotes and supports environmental sustainability and conversation and conservation among Black and Indigenous communities. Hello, Dr. Jessica. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. And I would like to acknowledge the lands where I'm recording from. I'm recording from the Duwamish lands, also known as Seattle. Thank you. So, um, of course, as it's custom for everyone on the podcast, when you first see the term raíces verdes or when you hear of it, what kind of comes up for you? What are some of your raíces verdes or your family story in connection to the environment? Yeah, so when I think of my raíces verdes, I think of the ancestral knowledge that continues to be maintained among my family. I also see how that ancestral knowledge is adapted to our new environments. As someone whose family has been displaced from our native homelands, I feel like my raíces verdes require me to adapt them to kind of like relocate my roots and plant them in a new environment, which is where my family is currently displaced on. Right. No, definitely. I think a big part of like mainstream environmentalism that gets left out is this like story of migration and how that definitely impacts um, our environment and how we connect to land. Yeah, definitely. And also, like, I feel like because of that, a lot of us have to reclaim those relationships we have with our environments as opposed to, you know, kind of tapping on them as quickly as other people can or have the ability to do so. Yes, definitely. So for today's episode, I'm really excited focusing on indigenizing environmental science and mutual aid. 
so before we get too deep into that, I would first like to hear a little bit more about the kind of work you do in terms of um, bringing visibility to Indigenous communities from so-called Mexico and Central America. Um, this is definitely something all over like your social media and the work that you put out. So why is it important for you to have such a strong presence from these Indigenous communities in the media and academia? So I think it's important for me because it's a part of my identity. Um, Zapotec and Maya Chorti. My father was displaced from our Chorti native lands of El Salvador during the Central American Civil War. And he eventually made it to the Oaxacan Pueblo where my mom is from. And that's how they met. I think that for academics, we are often forced to leave our identity behind because we have to cater to this white culture that academia is. So for me, it's kind of hard to do that because my work is grounded on uplifting my communities, on supporting my communities. And as a result, I think it's important and imperative for me to bring myself forward and my communities to the forefront of what academia and representation entails. Definitely. And I know this could be a whole nother conversation, but I often see also the theme in your um, writing, whether it's on social media or academic writing about um, specific indigenous communities in these areas like uh, Latin America get erased. Um, and so with Latinidad, right, homogenizing us, um, I'm assuming that maybe that's also part of the work you do is just like really bringing light to the diversity in indigenous communities and that we don't get homogenized in this way. Yeah, definitely. And also to keep in mind that even when we talk about settler colonialism, because as displaced Latinos or indigenous peoples from Latin America, we often focus on the settler colonialism that exists in the United States and that impacts us directly. And we tend to ignore how even some of us, if you're like non-indigenous or non-Black, you also uplift settler colonialism back in Latin America and how that settler colonialism also impacts indigenous and Black communities of those regions as well. Yes, definitely. And like I said, that could be its own episode about Latinidad and breaking that down. But I really appreciate you definitely bringing that lens into this work. Um, so as I kind of read in your bio, your environmental and STEM work varies from topics such as like marine ecology, forestry, food systems, and environmental education. But I definitely see a common thread in this work uh, about indigenizing science and indigenizing conservation. So what does this exactly mean to you and what have been like some of the major takeaways from your work by doing? Yeah, so indigenizing is a little bit more different than decolonizing, just because I feel like decolonizing is an ongoing effort for us to restore the lands to the rightful people, which will be the native people of those lands. Indigenizing is um, different because indigenizing kind of puts indigenous peoples in the forefront of many of the discourses or movements. So for instance, in indigenizing science, um, we put indigenous knowledge systems in the forefront. We kind of adapt Western science to indigenous knowledge as opposed to adapting indigenous knowledge to Western science. And oftentimes as indigenous scientists, we're forced to kind of integrate um, our indigenous knowledges with Western sciences, but indigenizing just means that we can follow that indigenous science that exists in our communities that maintains our communities, even as displaced people. 
and it kind of basically makes the head of the table the indigenous peoples because oftentimes we hear this phrase getting a seat at the table but sometimes that seat at the table is something that is not necessarily meant for us it makes us uncomfortable it still ignores our voices our ways of life our knowledge systems and by indigenizing for instance even a table it will mean that indigenous peoples are the leaders of that table like the head of the table and oftentimes that also means creating our new tables um, so that we can have more of that impact that our communities need and also for us to uplift our own voices. Yes, definitely. And I guess, would you mind giving maybe like a short example of how you've done that maybe in your work? I personally, I come from an urban planning background, so I was really um, amazed by the work that you were doing with like urban communities. Um, Yeah, urban communities and uh, a a short podcast as well about um, indigenous folks living in urban spaces. But is there any other like example you really want to highlight of how you've been indigenizing science and this work? Yeah, so I guess one of the examples is that I always put that in the forefront of my of my research as an as an indigenous scholar. So an example that I can think of is indigenizing restoration. So my doctoral degree was in restoration of an urban park, but instead of like following the approaches which tend to be from Western sciences, of what restoration is deemed to be from the west uh, from the western seattle parks framework what i did is that i listened to the community i integrated traditional ecological knowledge on how to actually restore and even the whole war of restoring we moved like we shifted it to healing right because like we're healing our lands because you know of settler colonialism and the impacts it had on our lands so indigenizing restoration would mean healing our lands moving away from those western concepts and integrating the ways that we were taught to heal our lands as opposed to like in restoration they teach us to take all the weeds um and even the whole notion of invasive species and weeds right like um an elder taught me that they are also somebody's displaced relatives so for instance in seattle parks we have the wild blackberry as an invasive species and oftentimes you know you're taught to remove them to um without even building a connection with them and even through the indigenizing restoration we had to build that relationship with the plants because they might not be our relatives in the americas but they're somebody's relatives like not um outside of the pacific northwest so even honoring and respecting you know what is deemed as an invasive species or a weed um is sometimes the way that we can indigenize the relationships that we have with our natural resources and in this regards restoration and how restoration is done under western frameworks Thank you for taking the time to listen to Raices Verdes. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and basically anywhere you can access podcasts. And the website is nuestrasraicesverdes.com. Also the Instagram handle. And I'm just excited to bring forward more stories. Hoping to also do some more um, visual work soon, like photo essays and video um, interviews as you know COVID permits. <laughs> So yeah, I'm just really excited to connect with more Black and Indigenous people of color doing this work. about this. <laughs> Just be like, my name is and I am this many years old. 
On the next episode of the Earth to Humans podcast, we are going to talk to Rowan. He's seven. I'm seven. I'm in first grade. And we're going to ask him all about climate change. Well, the climate, if the climate change is to like way hot, like hot in winter and the plants flower like in winter, then when the bees wake up, they'll have no nectar. We're also going to talk to Rowan's parents about the way climate change is being taught to kids these days and whether they have any thoughts about it. It's going to be a really fun, interesting episode, so we'll see you guys in two weeks. If you'd like to learn more about the Raices Verdes podcast and listen to Samara's full interview with Dr. Jessica Hernandez, you can head over to our show notes page for this episode, which you'll find at wildlensinc.org slash ETH223. If you'd like to hear bonus content from today's episode, you can join our Patreon campaign for the show. By joining the campaign with a small recurring donation, you are providing the resources that allow us to keep bringing you important conversations like today's episode with Samara Alamonte. Check out the link on the show notes page or go to patreon.com slash wildlenscollective. Earth to Humans is a production of the Wild Lens Collective. Our senior producer is Serena Simons, and today's episode was produced by me, Matt Podolsky. Music in today's episode comes from Wild Lens Collective member Greg Willis, and our intro sequence was edited by Wild Lens Collective member Jason Milligan, with music from Ray Alley. Mm-hmm.